Hello. Good to see you. You're looking good today. I tell this was like this one's is like the, the service to be at. I was thinking eleven thirty, man. You know, cardinals are probably like getting wiped out by now, and we're gonna be but maybe that's what fires you up. I don't know. It's so good to be with you. It's always great to, to be here, and I'm excited. It's been since the summer since I've spent some time with you, and so such a joy to be invited in to talk about how to build a life out of the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that second chapter if you want, and um, we're going to look at that chapter in just a moment, or it's in your journal too as well. Um, I was born in, in Southern California back like when there were real, there were real dinosaurs in La Brea tar pit back in there when, when I was born. But uh, there's two things that I, that I loved about growing up in Southern California. There's many things I love about not living there anymore, but two things I loved about growing up there. The first one is going to the beach all the time, and the second one um, is the Dodgers. Yeah, don't, don't be hating in church now. You know you're supposed to love even your enemies. But it'd be a good time for special prayer. The World Series is coming up, and we want them to go there so they can disappoint and break my heart again. But, um, but what I loved about, especially the summers in, in, in Southern California, was going to the beach. And um, we'd spend hours, days there body surfing and boogie boarding and just hanging out and enjoying the, the sun and the surf. And, and then as an adult, we'd just take our children there at least once a year and do the same thing with them, and, and I'm getting ready to take the grandkids there, the same kind of thing. One thing I learned about boogie boarding in the beach, though, in the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, is you go, you ride the waves, you ride into shore, you turn around, you go right straight back again, and you ride it, and you keep going back and forth, just straight lines every time. And um, something with the current and the tide and the wind and the way the waves are breaking, you can be doing that about a half an hour and look up, and all of a sudden you don't know where you're at. It's like, the people that were right in front of me are no longer there. I don't know where they went, where they moved to, or whatever, but I'm like a half a mile away, and, and it just, you just kind of drift when that starts to happen. So when we took our kids there, as they started to go, grow older and boogie boarding all the time, we'd, I would always say, hey, when we get here, look, there's lifeguard station right there. Lifeguard station number 18, don't forget that. Lifeguard station 18, put that in your head. Remember that. And then I'd let them do it, and I, I'd go over and sit by lifeguard station 18. I look around and they're not there. Oh, where, where are you guys go? And I, I have to go halfway to Mexico to find them. They're all the way there. And oh, we forgot what number it was. You know, and I said, well, when it starts saying lifeguard station Ocho and, and Cinco and that kind of stuff, <laughs> you've gone too far. Come back, come back. And they would just drift. It's so easy just to drift without even knowing it because there's so many currents and so many, so many winds that blow in life. Well, when Paul writes to the Colossians, he's writing a letter to a church that he's never been at before, a city that he's never been at before. In fact, it's a brand new church. It's, it's being pastored by a, a disciple of his that he knew well. But probably this guy came to visit Paul while he was in prison, being thrown in for sharing the faith, and, um, and just said, hey, things aren't going real well for us. We started so good, but it just seems like we're... It seems like we're drifting. It seems like the people in our church are just, are just drifting. I mean, they came to faith in Jesus. They, they had their lives changed and transformed, but 
Now, I mean, culture's so strong, all this Roman Empire stuff and all the gods and the idols. And, and now we got false teachers coming in and they're, they're teaching stuff that just, you know, Jesus is fine, but you got to add to what Jesus has. And, and then we got enough Jewish background going on that people want to make us Jewish and keep the ceremonies and the, the festivals and the traditions. And people are, people are just kind of just kind of drifting. And I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about our church. And Paul said, okay, I'm going I'm to write a letter to him. And he starts to write. And the first chapter, what, what you looked at last week, just deals with, with Jesus. I mean, he writes some of the most profound and strong Christological words in all the New Testament. There is no more concise, clear vision of who Jesus is than in that first chapter, starting in verse 15. It is unbelievable words identifying Jesus. And I loved how Pastor Allen just kind of summarized it last week. He said, you know, Jesus is, is like the founder and the CEO of this world. And he needs to be and wants to be the founder and the CEO of your life. And he talks about putting the cross on the, on the chair. And that's so strong. That's so good. And it's, it's from that context that we pick up in the second chapter today. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along starting in verse 6. If not, I think it'll be up on the screen. Verse 6 through 10 of Colossians 2. After laying out all this groundwork about who Jesus is, Paul says then this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, Strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, and this should be like in capitals, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the deity lives in Christ, in the body of Christ. All God, you got, you, you got a glimpse of that? All of God filling Christ up, filling Jesus up. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. All God, all the fullness of God in Jesus, and you have been given the fullness that Jesus has in you. That's huge words, earth-shattering words. Paul is saying, lifeguard station number 18, all the fullness of God in Christ, all of Christ in you means fullness. Don't let all the currents drift you and take you from one end to the other. Go back to that. All of God not only can be known and perceived, it's in you. And so he says this. Let me connect those two for you. Because what happens so often is we believe all these things about Jesus. We believe his preeminence and he's creator and, and that he's, he's, he's died on the cross and he has power and authority and he's the Lord, he's... Christ the, the Messiah, he's Jesus our Savior, he's Lord God. We believe that. 
But so often then we just walk out the door without ever connecting that to our life. And he says, if you miss the connection, you miss everything. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. And if you miss connecting to Jesus, you miss everything. Because this is not just about a religion. It's not just about coming to church and going, yeah, mm, I believe that. Yeah, that's good. See you next Sunday or in a couple weeks or whenever next, you know, but I'm on my way. You miss everything if you don't connect it to your life. The way you're a husband, the way you're a wife, the way you're a parent, the way you're, you're a citizen in this world, a co-worker with somebody. Everybody takes that and connects that just the same way you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. Same way you trust him for forgiveness of sin. Same way you know you're going to go and live in heaven the rest of your life. Now, continue to live in him here on earth. Your life should reflect that this whole thing is not the finished point. It's not like I've, I've accepted Jesus, whew, got that taken care of, check that off, don't got to go to hell now, I'm going to be all right. You know, I've, I've done the heart. No, it's not, the, it's not the, the finished point when you accept Christ. It's the beginning. It's the launching point of your life. Continue to live in him. That word live is a, is a good word. It, uh, you breathe in, you, you focus, you, 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 you move in, in, in Jesus. You know, you, you have a life. But I have a, a tendency to think that sometimes we miss the connotation of, of what it means to live for him because we have a tendency to say, okay, show me how to live. Like, are there five principles I need to know? Are there five rules? Are there some boundaries I don't need to cross? Give me the five things that I can live for Christ. And we, we just, it automatically just regulates itself to dry old religion. I'm going to live those five things out and please don't bug me with any more. I mean, do I got to go to church like every week? Do I got to read the Bible every day? Is, do I have to be nice in the parking lot at church every week? Or, you know, when they, as holiday season comes up, can I, can I lay hands on people without prayer? You know, I mean, what, how do I, what do I need to do and not do? So, so I like the word that, that the, actually the King James Version uses and the New American Standard uses, some other versions use. And instead of live in him, it says walk in him. Continue to walk in him. As you received Christ, this free gift, as your Lord and Savior, walk in him. I think that's such a better term because we, we just think of it all up in the head of believe in him up here, but walk in him. Do you know Jesus never asked anybody to, to pray the sinner's prayer? Never asked them to raise their hand at the end of a service or end of a little gathering around the Sea of Galilee? Never had him come forward? This? You know what he would say to his disciples, to his followers? Come on. The world. Come on. Come on. I've got a life for you like you've never, ever. Testament, the fifth chapter in Genesis is kind of like this this begat type thing. It goes from Adam to Noah.
this whole list of people lived 500 years. Some of them lived 900 years and died and died and died and died. And died and died and died and died. Enoch, whoa, screech, he walked with God. That wasn't an easy walk back in those days. You talk about a culture that is bent in our day and age. He lived in a culture where God, in the next couple generations, was done with it. He just said, I'm, I'm going to send the flood, wipe everybody out, and start over again. That's how, that's how fed up I am with you guys. He walked in that kind of culture with God. It says he walked for 300 years. Had, had a son named Methuselah, who was the oldest guy in the Bible ever to live, who was like the great granddaddy of Noah, and then for 300 years walked with God. He was gone. God, God, God took him. God zipped him up to heaven. Everyone else dies. Enoch walks with God. No death. I don't know about you, but I'd like to sign up for that one. I don't want to have to go. Through. I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know, I just <laughs> zip them right up <laughs> to heaven. And, 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 and I heard one guy say one time, it was like, Enoch walked with God and 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 walked with God. And finally God said, you know what? We're closer to my home than yours. Let's just go to my house. <laughs> Off he went. I love that. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or if I, maybe I am wise. Um, I've had a couple friends die this, this last week. One of them I'm having the memorial service tomorrow for. He's younger than me, died of cancer. And I, I'm sitting there with his family and we're planning out the, the funeral service. And he has three adult children and I, I just say, you know, tell me about dad. What do you remember about dad? How can you sum dad up with a, with a few words? And one says, well, he, he was a baseball fan. He was my coach. He was everybody's coach. He coached half. In fact, the whole, whole funeral service is going to be full of people he coached. It's, he's a great baseball fan. I'm writing that down. He loved music, the other son says, in my, my take. raises her hands and goes, you know what? He taught me to shoot. I said, wow, I, I wish I would have taught my daughter to shoot. In this day and age, it might be kind of a helpful thing, but um, writing all that down. And I, I put it all away. I put it in my pocket and heading out the, the door and into the car. And I got to thinking, you know, there's going to be a day when somebody sits with my adult children, the grandchildren, my wife, and says, tell me about Don. What kind of guy was he? What do you remember most about him? Well, how can you sum his life up? I wonder what they're going to say. He was grumpy without enough coffee. You know. <laughs> Never bother him before he speaks on Sunday. He gets really mean. Yeah, I, I, he loved the Dodgers for some reason. We don't know why. I, I don't know what they would say. Here's what I would like for them to say, as I thought this through, and it kind of went back to this passage. I would love for them to say, yeah, Dad walked with God. He wasn't perfect. 
He wasn't the best. I'll tell you this, he, he walked with God. I would love for, for that to be said of me, wouldn't, wouldn't you? He walked with God. He knew God enough that he walked with him, he talked with him. He heard God's voice tell him, you're mine. The joy they share as they tarry there, the old song goes. I would love that. Paul says, if you want to keep from drifting, walk with God. Live in him. And Paul doesn't only say, not, he doesn't just say walk with God, he says walk in him. In him. In fact, in the first chapter, it talks about this mystery. That, let me explain this mystery, Paul says. It's this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only do you understand Christ, not only did Christ come and die on a cross for you, Christ lives in you. It's the hope of glory. It's, it's what holds us all together. And not only does he live in you, you in him, you can walk in him. And then he throws some metaphors out to kind of get you a little grasp on what it means to really live in him. Evidently, Paul didn't go to an English literature class or a writing class because he mixes his metaphors. So don't let all the mixture of metaphors throw you, but let's kind of add one onto the other. He, he, starts, he starts going like this. Be rooted in him. One version says, let your roots sink deep into him. Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, if you remain in me, if you're rooted in me, you're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, nothing else matters. Rooted. The psalmist says, like a, like a tree planted by the rivers of water, deep, deep water with the roots going after the nutrients. I'm reminded of an acorn when it falls from a tree. Many acorns, some of them will actually take, go under the ground and, and they'll start to sprout. And as they sprout, the roots start. And what happens is there's a thing called a taproot, which goes deep and searches out water and nutrients, first and foremost, in the ground, before anything else happens. That taproot goes. And then all the other roots come out of the taproot. And as the taproot continues to continues to go deep, the other roots cause a system that, that, that widens and, and broadens. And before long, there'll be a sprout that comes out through the ground. If there's enough nutrients, if there's enough water, if there's a healthy enough root system, a little sprout that comes out. And that sprout will start to mature as, as the root system stays healthy. Take the root system out of there, the sprout's going to go away. It's never going to mature. But as it continues to mature, and as the taproot goes deeper and deeper, searching and searching for more water and more nutrients, then all of a sudden the trunk comes and the leaves and the branches come. And before long, you have an oak tree, which is like the symbol of strength and the symbol of endurance and the symbol of longevity, this big oak tree, all because there's a great root system that continues to search. I wonder about you. you have a taproot? root that searches for nutrients what are you rooted in 
What are, you, what are you searching for? I know what you're searching for on Sunday morning at 11.30, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where's that taproot go? You know, I think what's kind of weird about the trees that we have here in the desert is I don't and some wind and before long there's trees laying everywhere my neighbor's tree went down in the, in the last couple of weeks in the wind I could tell it was about to go down it was it was it looked like Charlie hanging in there brown leaves and all the leaves every time the wind would blow would, would land in my pool And when, when, that, when, he would do that, when it would do that, I was just like, finally the tree went down, and I, I rejoiced in, in a quiet, <laughs> quiet kind of way. And you know what my neighbor did? He got four wires and propped the thing back up. <laughs> it's like, dude, the thing is dead. Can't you see it's dead? Those roots aren't going to do it. It's dead. And finally it blew over again. And, and then, then I really rejoiced. And now it's laying in the front yard all cut up in pieces. I, I don't know you. I don't know your life. I don't know what you're going through. I have a tendency to think that maybe some of you came in today and, and your leaves are, are a little brown. That there's some lack of nutrients going on. That the wind blows you a little more than what you'd like. That you're, that you're about to go down. Yeah, and you can blame a lot of different things for it. And, there's, and there could be a cause and a reason for a lot of it. Here's what I'd ask you to do. Check your root system. Are your roots going deep into him? Into him. You're more worried about your fruit. But without a, without a good root, there'll be no fruit. Be rooted in him. Then he changes the metaphors a little bit into a construction metaphor in that he talks about built and uh, built up in him. It's, the idea is, is that you don't just build a house in one day. You, you have a strong foundation, but then you add layer upon layer of brick or, or of wood or, or the studs or whatever, but it takes a while. You don't, you don't live with Christ and in Christ. You don't walk in him in one day with one prayer, with one decision, with one commitment, with one... One time at church, it takes day after day after day, prayer after prayer, Bible study after Bible study, opening his word, listening, reading, singing, whatever, all this stuff that day after day after day to be built up in him. Without a foundation, it's going to fall, but with a good foundation, it takes for the old word that's used in some of the versions, established, established in Once, once that contract is signed and stamped and notarized or whatever it needs to be done, it, and the decision is made and it's final and it, the decision is a You wrote a contract on that and it, it established that property in the name of the, of the new owner. Or if it was a That idea of being built up and established 
lets us know who we are or whose we are. Christ, I'm, I, I'm, I'm one of his children, and so there's something, something different about that because when your taproot is searching and searching and searching, trying to find significance, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find whatever's going to make you who you are or who you're supposed to be, it's searching all over the place for all these ideas and thoughts that are supposed to work, and they, they fall up short. But our, our establishing in him is, is an identity when you know whose you are, you know who you are. And so when you're rooted in him and you're built up in him and you're established in him, all the currents that may come, all the drifting potential that there might be, all the winds and the storm and the rain, you hold firm still. You don't just find yourself out miles away from where you started not knowing how you got there. There's a, there's a strength that, that comes to build your life on in that. It's It's... Very interesting to see how that promise and, and that description is couched between two warnings. In your Bibles, if you have verse 4, it says, I tell you this so no one may deceive you by some fine-sounding arguments. And then verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ." Kind of an interesting thing. He, he says, you know, there's, there's all this stuff out there that's going to that's gonna threaten you and cause you to drift and trip up if you're not careful. Sounds good, but it's hollow, he says. It's empty. In fact, it's... ...a promise under-deliver. It's all about human tradition. It's all about the world. Everyone else is joining on this. Everyone else believes it. Everyone else thinks about it. There's books written on this stuff. It's, it's something that everybody's given their life to rather than Christ. And before long, you find yourself just drifting. In fact, in this church, like in Colossae, like in probably most of our churches, it's, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but also all this other stuff added on to it. And Paul says, let's just go back to the basics here. It's who he is, and it's you living in him. Now, when we think of that, we think of all these cults and philosophers and, you know, crazy teachers and all that kind of stuff. Let me just kind of give you some of the, some of the, the thinking of our world and how it tries to, to, to give us some identity. This last year, over $183 billion was spent on marketing, online, television, media, by businesses to try to get you to buy their, their product. $183 million with the promise of this. It will complete you. It will give you status. It will give you strength. It will give you sex appeal. It will make you, um, 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 I don't know, full. <laughs> you, will, you will have this satisfaction, this full feeling about it if, if you'll just buy this. Why would they, $183 billion, why would they spend that much money? Because it works. We go for it. It will complete me. It will give me identity. People will think about this, about me, or I want people to think this. If I wear this, drive this, live there, do this, go there, have that education, have that, they'll think that. That's who I'll be. 
in their eyes, whatever it cost. $331 billion this last year was spent on apparel alone. Just on apparel. That's a, that's a larger GPD than Costa Rica and Israel have. Just on our clothes that we wear. In 1930, you go to, to a, an average person's closet, there's about six to nine outfits that somebody owned. Today, over 30. And, and they haven't even gone in some of your closets. There's going to be more than that, probably. <laughs> there's, there's this constant, I want more, I need more, I gotta have this. If I just, if, it, it gives me a boost just to buy it. If I could just buy a new car, it's so, it smells so good. It's a new car for one month, and then it's an old car, and everyone else has one just like it. Do you ever notice that? So what do we do? We, we, we take a garage, and we put stuff that we bought that, that completed us that we don't need anymore, we don't use anymore, and we stick it in the garage. Do you know three out of four garages are no longer used for what they were intended that, that's for cars, by the way, for some of you that don't know. The garages are there for cars. We put stuff we don't need, that we don't use, that we don't want, that was so important to us, we spent all that money on and put them in our, our garage. And then finally we get tired of that, and get a U-Haul trailer and stuff it all in a U-Haul trailer and take it to a self-storage unit and pay rent on the stuff we don't need, want, or use. And then we get tired of that and put it, call up, 1-800-come-pick-up-my-junk, and they'll pick it all up and take it off throw it in a landfill where you'll continue to pay for it with rising taxes for the rest of your life. Welcome to America. That's what completes us. That's, that's, that's who we are. We think, if I can just have more, if I can just have that. Somebody said it's like we have a black hole within us, like, like up in space, that black hole that just is a vacuum cleaner and sucks down everything from mass and matter to light itself. We have this black hole within us and everything we try to fulfill ourselves with doesn't work. And Paul says this, let me just tell you this. The fullness of God is in Christ. The fullness of Christ is in you. The only thing that will fill that black hole in you is the fullness of God through Christ in you. That's the only thing. So when you build your life, you sink your, your roots deep you let the fullness of Christ come out. That's the, the building, that's the, 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 the tree, the trunk, and the branches. And he, and he throws this one little thing on it. When you're, when you're rooted and you're, you're established and you're, you're building, you will be then overflowing with thanksgiving. Overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness is one of the fruit that comes from that. It's when you have the right roots and you have the right strength in your in your trunk and your branches that you have the right kind of fruit what i love the word is overflowing when fruit is overflowing i like that not only did my neighbor have this beat up old tree my neighbor has a lemon tree and it's right next to the fence and when it overflows i love my neighbor <laughs> all the lemons and the neighbor behind us has a grapefruit tree and the one on the other side has an orange tree and they're all next to the fence and they all overflow there's at least one season out of the year I love them all. Let it overflow and overflow and overflow. When our fruit starts to overflow, people start taking notice of that. And, and the, the thing is we're so interested in fruit that we, we neglect the root. You know what a, what a tree without a root is? 
There's some beautiful trees without a root called Christmas trees. And we bring them in and we set them in our living room next to the window and we put ornaments on and lights on it and we decorate it and everybody can see it from the outside and go, wow, that's beautiful. And people come in the house and go, wow, that's beautiful. You have, oh, what a beautiful tree. You ever bite into one of those ornaments? They, they're not flavorful. They, they don't taste good at all. There's no life in that tree. It might make it three or four weeks if you put enough water in it and, and an aspirin at the bottom or whatever it takes to keep that thing, and then it's going to be the, the biggest fire trap you ever brought in your house. Or you may have an artificial one, you just put it back in the box, pull it out, put it back in. When I want, to, in, when I want people to see my tree with all my ornaments I hang, I'll bring it back out again. Are you a Christmas tree? You're just for show? You're just for decoration? Let the church people see your ornaments? Let your neighbors think that you're really something because of your ornaments? Or are you a tree planted deeply with roots? Strong trunk, leaves, and fruit that gives off in season. So that people see your fruit. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy the fruit of your life. And they'll look at you, and they'll look at us. They'll look at this church, and they'll say, I, I'll tell you this. They walk with God. Sue, she walks with God. Bill, Joe, they walk with God. They walk with God. To build a life is something that is one of the most difficult things to do. Because if you don't intentionally do something, you'll drift and not even know it. And so the gospel calls us back again. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the founder and he's the CEO. Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and sending Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much that while we were far away, you brought him into our life. And he, he accepted us. He went to the cross for us. He has all authority and power. He's not only Lord and Savior. He's the one who lives within us. Today, may we continue in him. May we live in him. May we walk with him by sinking our roots deep. By being established. And may our fruit overflow to your glory. In Jesus' name.